we will go for about an hour or less today. So if you want to eat sandwiches, you can, but you'll also be done at 1230 if you want to do something other than sandwiches. Mike, won't it be nice when we have a logo? shadowing behind it's like, but that's something we could like literally anytime we want to we can just send that back to him he's got the photoshop files he can just throw a shadow in there or things like that so yeah it'll just be nice when we're done just get it done you know yeah the um the logo design by committee is rough like well and it's hard too where logo design by committee we associate you know, yeah. Like yeah. yeah if we were all in the same room we'd go well that's true and it was like one moment right yeah right that's a good point yeah do. yeah that's all right we're here yeah. i think i mean i'm, I'm stoked it's so good 
That's such a good look. That's yeah. what we need in place. Yeah. Uh, it says what we want. So yep. So do you think that uh, my indemnification question makes any sense? It does. Okay. No, it does. And I need to, we need to loop back with you on that. Okay. Uh, yeah, basically kind of a notice to employees of like, you will be trained yes. next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't provide by that training, then it's not going to be covered. And like, to me, that sounds like it's more of like a I think that, like, that those sorts of statements, if you don't train, they start to become a sense of commission. Every time it says, right? I think it gets into commission. Right. But there are things that would warrant us essentially saying, you did not do this. Right. And that's why everyone on our sensitivity is not very slow. Because there's an identification clause there. We have some people that should have done that. And it would have been, from an institutional perspective, it would have been ideal to feel like they didn't follow the policy. Right. Right. And that's like, and from a legal liability standpoint, too, there's, there's torts for negligent hiring. You bring somebody in, that's a separate, but kind of, I think of it conceptually in like suits against local police departments. It's like, you need to have an established policy. This is our training. Yeah. And we yeah. hold you to it. Yeah. And so when someone comes after us, yeah. your employees did. Yeah. You train your employees. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think these things work all together. Yeah. And then, yeah. so the identification is like between us and employees. Right. Versus us and versus. Right. But we can just train that on the backside. Right. Come up with, like, this would constitute negligence if you don't do this in this case. Right. You don't abide by the policies here. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the conversation. That's really, really interesting. Where's God? Where's God? I say try to manage, and if you can, then don't worry. Yeah. And also, you can always use that gun as like a. Yeah. Yeah. That's one reason I'm going to start, get it started so we can get to naps faster. Me too. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and get started if we can. You want to grab your inf yeah, and we're going to be in here and uh, and if you could sit closer, that would be wonderful. We're we're doing it in here because we're going to record the content and provide that to folks afterward. Mr. Roby, could you make an announcement out in the hallway that we're getting started? Could you make an announcement out there that we're getting started so that they know?
Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and get started, and I did post the outline for this talk in Basecamp, and it's also available on the sermon page on the Providence website. So if you would like to follow along, you're, you're welcome to do so. How many here uh, did any reading prior to this? Did anyone read Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand? Kind of? Five chapters, okay. Did anyone read uh, Seeing Through New Eyes, Pallison? What about Competent to Counsel? Ben Nichols started reading Competent to Counsel while he was also um, studying for his license clinical, uh, his, his, his license, his family therapy license. And he had to stop reading Jay Adams because Jay Adams kept telling him to stop studying for the test. But, uh, so, okay, well, we're going to get to those books throughout the progression uh, this fall. And I do want to let you know that we are going to primarily be in the book of Galatians, really for the whole fall. Galatians is... There are other examples, but Galatians is probably the, the, the most portable, understandable example of intervention in the Bible. Paul is intervening in an error. He's, he's actually doing what we see he calls the, the church to do in Galatians uh, chapter 6. So we're going to spend a big chunk of our time in Galatians 5 and 6 this fall, and today I want to just lay out some of the sort of basic categories that we have to think through as we discuss biblical counseling. Uh, one of the things I would like to draw your attention to is just that, you know, the TLP, uh, Theological Leaders Program, was really established out of a vision that was connected to uh, a passage we see in the book of Matthew. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, goes through a whole series of parables, and there's some of, I guess, you'd be careful, but something like his most central or important, perhaps, parables. And at the end of that, he says, do you understand what I just taught you? And this is the parable of the seed and so on and so forth. Do you understand what I just taught you? And they say, yes. And then he says in Matthew 13, 52, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. And so the very first email we sent with Theological Leaders Program, we included that verse and said, we want to help train people to be masters of God's word so that they can bring out and care for others. And that's what we're doing here in this conversation about biblical counseling. Uh, we're going to look primarily at God's restorative work when someone is caught in transgression. And this comes from Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1 through 2, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that's our charter verse for our biblical counseling ministry. It's going to really give us most of what we need to know. Uh, it's going to give us most of how we need to act. So I want to walk you through that this morning. The first thing we see in this, in this verse is that it was, we see the problem, that people get caught, people get caught in transgressions. The word caught there in the Greek is taken by surprise. Um, you know, when you talk to someone who has kind of fallen into error or fallen into sin, you'll often hear them say something like, man, I wish I could go back to me before that moment and just smack them. 
and say, don't fall for this thing, or don't fall for that thing, and so on and so forth. And so the word for caught is taken by surprise. It's really important if you're, if you're caring for other people and helping them be restored out of a season of being caught to understand kind of why they were caught in the first place. And so I've provided a few verses. Um, Galatians 5.17, Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So what we're dealing with in the Christian life is a war between the spirit and the flesh. And then Paul, once he says that in verse 17, in verse 19, he actually gives us a list. These two lists in Galatians 5 are going to be extraordinarily meaningful as you walk with people. The first list is a list of the, law, of the works of the flesh, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, uh, anger or envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And um, one of the things that you can see, it's very interesting in this passage, is then he goes to the list of the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I want to make two observations here that are just so crucial. And the first one is, is that everything in the first list is basically anti to human flourishing. If you can help people get rid of stuff in that first list, you're not only going to help them have better lives, but you're going to help all the people in their lives have better lives as well. Everything on that first list is anti to human flourishing. And so we're commanded as Christians to love our neighbors. And it's like, well, how do I love my neighbors? Well, there's lots of ways. But one of the things that we, we should bear in mind as Christians is if we can help each other get the stuff that's on that first list out of our lives, we are loving not only that person, but we're loving many other people who are connected to those people. Because all of those things on that list of the flesh just ruin relationships. They just ruin relationships. And meanwhile, the stuff that's on the fruit of the spirit list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, these are all things that are pro-human flourishing. And if you can help people have these things in their life, you've made their lives better, not simply by removing the bad stuff, which is good, uh, but, but bringing in the, the, the good stuff, which is also good. So one of the things that we see here is just like, man, like it just is, it's just helpful to help people get stuff off of the one and add stuff onto the other. The other thing that's very important is to note that the word works is used uh, in, in the list of the flesh in verse 19, and the word fruit is used in verse 22. And here's the idea here. The, fle- the works of the flesh are works because they come from us. The, the fruit of the Spirit is fruit because it comes from the Spirit. So our flesh is working these things. The Spirit has to work these other things. Okay, So our flesh is working these things. The Spirit is working these other things. But, but really, guys, like the reason why we need to even have a biblical counseling ministry is because people get caught in transgressions. And they walk, in the, the, they walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. Hebrews 12.1, one of the things we're told there is that sin uh, entangles and ensnares and weighs down. Right? It says that, it, that sin entangles and weighs down. But notice the, notice the one qualifier there. 
so easily, so easily. The reason why we have to have people dedicated to restoring people who are caught in transgression is because it's not hard to get caught in transgression. It's so easy. <laughs> it's literally in the Bible. It's so easy. And uh, being overtaken is common. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a pretty common verse uh, used in biblical counseling, and that's where Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such that is common to man. One of the things that is so helpful to people when they're coming, often ashamed and broken, is to understand that, like, literally, you know, you probably should be ashamed, you probably should be broke, broken, but you, you really should also understand that what you're displaying here, the brokenness you're displaying, the works of the flesh you're displaying, it's common. Sin is too easy, and no temptation has overtaken anybody but such that is common to man. Um, we want to do our best with these lists to hold these lists up as a consistent part of our conversations. We want to try to get all of the language that we're talking about, whether we're talking about problems or solutions, within these lists. Um, these lists are not exhaustive, but they are helpful. And so someone can say something like, I'm really struggling um, to speak kindly and so forth. And it's like, okay, like, let's talk about that. And you start to say, well, what would you say? You show them the list of the flesh, and you're like, what, what on this list would you say this behavior most matches? And, you know, in that case, it might be anger or fits of rage or something like that. You're wanting to help people see what exactly is the sin that they're dealing with, and you want them to also have some sense of what it is they need to grow in. In this case, maybe patience or self-control. Another thing, just before we move on to the kind of people that God uses, is that problems can be complex. Can someone... Open 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Problems can be complex. First Thessalonians 5.14. Go ahead, loud. So here we have three different kinds of people. We have, what, what are the three different kinds? We've got the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And we've got three different solutions for these three different problems, three different approaches for these three different problems. One needs to be admonished, one needs to be encouraged, and one needs to be helped. The commonality, and I'll get to this again in a moment, is patience. Be patient with them all. But what you'll find is, is that someone might be all three in different areas of their life. So you've got someone that as regard to their, um, their dealing with, say, pornography, is the last piece for them is idleness. They are not just doing the work necessary. They're not getting the systems in place. It's idleness. But, but, but there might also be great weakness there. There might also need help and so on and so forth. So the whole idea just is to say that like sin is a really big problem. It's really easy to fall into. It's really easy to get caught and so on and so forth. And now as we continue in Galatians 6, we see you know, this idea that God has a plan for this. Um, verse 1 again in Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, so, you know, it's, it's in the Bible because it happens, right? 
and God has a plan for fixing it. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, so on and so forth. So now we need to understand the second piece. It is the Holy Spirit that produces change. When you or I are walking in the flesh, when we are in sin, when we are exhibiting behaviors on the list of the flesh in Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit wants to change us. So how does the Holy Spirit change us? The Holy Spirit uses people to produce change. The Holy Spirit uses people to produce change. And I've listed some verses there. Romans 15, 14 is where Paul says to the Romans, I have confidence that you're able to counsel one another. Hebrews 10, 24 is, uh, let us stir one another up to faith and good deeds. Romans 10 is, how will they know unless they are told? How will they believe unless they are preached to? So the Holy Spirit wants to get people out of the thing they're caught in and into the fruit, a fruitful life, and he uses people. Specifically, people who are, Paul says, spiritual. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a moment. So one of the things that um, I don't mean to guilt anyone into, into coming back next time, but let's just be honest, there are more wrecks than there are restorers in the church. Right? There are more wrecks than there are restorers. It's sort of like... Um, it's sort of like if, if, uh, all, if we moved all of our teenagers to one city and they all learned to drive together and there was only one body shop. It's like, that's the state, that's the state of the church. <laughs> there are more wrecks than there are restorers. And that's just not God's will. God wants there to be a group of people in the church who can bring restoration. If you look at this phrase, look at verse 1 again, it starts with brothers, so that just means like everybody. Everybody's being addressed. And then, so you've got on the one hand, like let's, let's not just expect the pastor to do this, right? We're going to everybody, all the brothers. We're going to talk to all the brothers. If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual. So the idea here is it's something more than just the pastor and something less than literally everybody. There's a qualification that is presented here, it is you who are spiritual. And we'll unpack this in subsequent weeks, but I want you to understand that if you're coming just for like counseling techniques, you know, you're gonna get some of those things, but I just wanna be clear, having done this for a very long time now, your character will matter far more than your competency when it comes to restoring people who are caught in sin. Um, your character is actually what will get tested far more severely than your competency. You'll be tempted to manipulate. You'll be tempted to do shortcuts. You'll be tempted to take one side and not remain impartial. You'll be tempted to blow up. You'll be, and so on and so forth. Your character will actually be tested far more than your qualifications. Truth is, is that we live so far down the line from the early days of Christianity, people have made literally every book you need for biblical counseling, you know? And there are these amazing books, and I want you to get them. I'll, 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 show you the, I'll show them to you when it's time. But there's just like index books for problems. And so, you know, someone's got a problem, and you just go open the tab to that thing, and it's like, you know, jealousy. It's like, flip, here it is. So your skills are way less important than your spirituality. Paul does give us, you know, kind of requirements on how we should behave when we're in this process. But by far the most important thing 
is to just grow in your own spiritual character and let that be the substance of what the Holy Spirit uses. Because it's not you that's going to produce the change. The fruit comes from the Spirit, not you. The Spirit will use your character more than your competency. So we've seen the problem and we've seen the people that God has set up to fix the problem. And now we look at the purpose. So we've got brothers. If anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. This is the aim. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to restore people out of this, out of this condition of caughtness, out of this condition of being stuck. You know, it's a very embarrassing thing to get caught in a trap. You know, there's, there's all these statistics about people who are scammed and they anticipate that a massive amount of the people who are scammed never report it. Why? Because, because then when you start looking at it, it's embarrassing, you know? There's, there's a lot of people don't, won't even come forward to acknowledge that they're scammed. The truth is, is that all sin is actually kind of stupid. From the objective position of someone not being tempted, it looks stupid. It doesn't look enticing. It doesn't look good. It looks stupid. It looks like a trap because that's what it is. But in the moment, it doesn't feel that way. And so someone who is caught needs someone who can restore them. What does restore mean? Well, this is the word that I used in a sermon a couple weeks ago. It's the catharsis of God. It's the, it, that's a, it's a drama term. I think the very best way to think about what happens in biblical counseling is to think of your very typical boilerplate romantic comedy. Um, scene, uh, the, the, there's three acts in your typical romantic comedy. And the first one is you're just getting to know the character and there's some foreshadowing of things that are coming and you kind of get like maybe some insights that will be called back to later. This person has this preference. This kid has this saying, whatever. That'll come back later. But the first act is you just get to know the character and maybe you see that the character has like a decent life but also some issues and so on and so forth. The second act is the crisis. I don't like movies that go too dark with the second act where it's just like, man, you're just bumming me out. You know, there's just terrible things happening. But the second act is some kind of crisis where something terrible happens. And then the third act is the resolution of that crisis in a way that advances the character beyond what they were at the beginning of the movie. So this is what restoration is. That's what catharsis is. Restoration is not giving people exactly what they had before they sinned. Sometimes that's not possible. It's never actually preferred. Restoration is not getting people back to what they were before they sinned. Restoration is getting them to a point beyond their sin to where they're actually better in many respects than they were before their sin. You guys know Greg Dernberger, my friend. He's the pastor in Sioux Falls. He did his PhD on something called redemptive leadership. And his whole theory was, could we, is it possible to grab guys 10, 15 years after disgrace in ministry and restore them to ministry? And I don't really remember the conclusions that he reached there, but the whole point of it was that man, if he's truly repentant, is a, probably a better guy to do ministry than the guy who hasn't fallen. That's, that was the thesis. I'm not arguing for that. I'm just saying, like, there's something to that, right? And I often say that every relationship grows dramatically the first time someone has to forgive someone else in a serious way. And that's true of our relationship with God. So when it says restore, it doesn't just mean return them back to their previous state. It means something more than that. 
So a big part of helping someone that's stuck is actually helping them see why God would allow this to pass in this particular way in the first place and to arrive at some final conclusion that says, in some weird way, I'm glad this happened because now X, Y, and Z is clearer to me or I'm better in this way or so on and so forth or my relationship is better in this way or this way. So restore isn't reset. Restore is better than reset. Um, so we've got the, the problem and the people and, and, and the purpose, which is to restore this catharsis idea. And then we've got the process. And this is uh, the part where people typically focus. They typically think about discipleship as the process. It's really, it's really just more about your character, to be honest with you. But the process is where people think about, and Paul addresses it. Uh, at the end there of verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted, you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there are three kind of guardrails here that Paul gives. The first one is we should restore them gently with a spirit of gentleness. We should restore them watchfully. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And we should restore them practically. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So any work that is sort of like, you come to me with a problem, and I'm like, well, here's the verse, see ya. Like, I'm not really doing anything for you. I'm not bearing your burdens. I'm not looking into, like, how can I actually help you in your life? I'm just, I'm just doing the bare minimum. Um, so that's, that's the bear one another's burdens piece. We have to be gentle, watchful, and practical. Now, we'll hang out on gentleness a little bit this morning because uh, if, there's, if there's another word next to love that is being misused more by our culture, it might be gentleness. Now, I've meditated a lot on this because this is an area that I've had to keep repenting of lacking and growing in and so on and so forth. So I've really meditated on gentleness a lot um, I mean, I, I would say that, like, just from the perspective of having thought about it a lot, you could probably trust my take. You know, I'm not suggesting <laughs> I'm growing in this. Um, one, of the, one of the things I had to first decide about gentleness was, is there ever a moment when gentleness is not appropriate? And um, I wanted to answer that question biblically, not merely philosophically or logically. And so I went to the fruit of the Spirit. And I said, is there ever a moment when, peace, when patience is not appropriate, when love is not appropriate, and so on and so forth? And I realized, no, these are kind of all time. These are always on. That's the idea. There's, these don't switch on and off. This, these are all on all the time, right? Well, then that really starts to kind of open up questions because here's the interesting thing. And this is the part I think people get really confused by. There are many behaviors which themselves are not gentle, but that can be done in a gentle way. Pulling a tooth is not gentle. It's a violent behavior. But there is a wide range of, of force that you could choose to use in approaches and so on and so forth that you could employ to make that more or less gentle. So in my own personal work on this, here's the definition. I think my definition is, I guess I got to work on humility next because I think my definition is the best. Uh, <laughs> My, my definition of gentleness is the bare minimum amount of force needed to complete the job. 
the bare minimum amount of force needed to complete the job. I think you could be a gentle executioner. I think you could be a gentle dentist. I think you could be a gentle surgeon. Um, I think you could be a gentle soldier. Only, though, if you understood how much force was needed to do the job. Because if you use too little force as a dentist, trying to be gentle, what am I, what am I gonna deal with then? I'm gonna deal with round two, and round three, and round four, and so on and so forth. It's like, that's not actually helping. And so what gentleness is, is the bare minimum amount of force needed to do the job. And so then you really just have to become very thoughtful about what it is you're trying to do. And a lot of times, the second area that I've failed at with gentleness is I'm trying to do too much. So I'm trying to reform an entire perspective. I'm trying to change somebody in one conversation. And again, you can hear that in the verbiage. I'm trying to change someone in one conversation. And you look and you realize like God has literally never done that once for me. Like he has literally never completely transformed anything in my life with one you know, conversation. He is patient. He is progressive. He works on the installment plan. We were poor growing up. I don't even understand what the point of this is, but there was this thing called layaway. And you would, you, we would literally buy our jeans on layaway. I think it was to lock in the sale price or something. And you, you essentially make payments. You go to the store and you make a payment and you, you, you pay a part of the thing until it's paid off. I guess it's maybe before cards, I don't know. But that idea of installments, it's like what am I trying to do in any particular moment? If you take off too big a bite, a bite that God is not sanctioning, a bite that God is not intending, you, will, you can't be gentle. But also, if you take off too little, you're just extending the agony. And so when you interact with people and you're helping them deal with sin, it's like a really interesting thing to really lock in. This is why I say character matters more than competency. It's like, how do I know what God wants to do, not what I want to do, and how do I know how much he wants to do today? And so on. And so gentleness is, uh, there's as many times where God's gentle when he kills someone, or God's gentle when he damns someone, or God, you know, God's gentle when he destroys Sodom. Like, he does what is necessary. He does what, he uses the force necessary to do the thing. So I, I would say that gentleness is always appropriate. It is always, we should always be gentle. And what you will find if, you, if you're like me and struggle with this is you will often, so one, one way to fail is to just let your flesh take over in the middle of a good work. And so you were, you were starting a work in the spirit, but you're finishing it in the flesh. And if you ever had an argument with your spouse, you probably know what that is. Just start something in the spirit and finish it in the flesh. And I'm not talking about makeup sex. Uh, you know, you're, you know, you're, yeah. <laughs> Because that's good. Uh, no, I mean, if you've ever been in an argument, you know what I mean. Your, your body takes over, your passions take over, and you're, you're, you're not in the spirit anymore. So there's one way. And then another way is to just attempt to do too much. And if you've ever, I mean, this is part of another way that we fail in our arguments with our spouses. Is trying to solve the whole thing in one conversation. So I think that definition of gentleness works pretty good. I think it works pretty good for people who struggle with it. And also I think it works pretty good because it doesn't allow people 
to cop out and victimize themselves when you were trying to tell them to stop sinning? It's like, friends, there's no gentle, that's not a gentle activity. Mortifying the flesh, not a gentle activity. Calling someone to repent is not a gentle activity. Can you do that with varying degrees of gentleness? Absolutely. The activity isn't gentle, but you can be gentle in the activity. And so we don't let other people tell us necessarily you were gentle or you were not gentle. They're, they're, especially if it's a hard thing, like a tooth pulling or something, because their measurements aren't what I'm living for. I'm living for the Lord's measurements. And so, so gentleness is one of those things that's crucial. And Paul just says it this way. I've made it more complicated than Paul. With a spirit of gentleness, an intention toward gentleness. That's the thing to, to keep in mind, an intention toward gentleness. I've just kind of fleshed out, I think, how, how to do that. The next sense he says is in this process is in addition to gentleness, there should be watchfulness. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you, be, you to be tempted. What do you think he's talking about there? Do you think that he's talking about um, restoring someone from a, you know, a meth addiction and getting tempted to do meth? Like, I mean, it's possible. Do you think that's what he's talking about? Or what do you think? Any, any thoughts? Hmm? Self-righteousness? It's very possible that that's what it is because he, in the text he continues and he kind of says if anyone thinks he is something and he is nothing, he's an idiot. Uh, so that, that could be definitely a part of it. Um, I also just think that when you enter into care for others, you enter on the devil's knock list. And... It, it, it would be sweet, so, so sweet to the nasty, the nasty devil to get you on Monday to restore someone else and then have you on Tuesday fall in some other way. It would just be so sweet to him. Because, see, you're useful now. You're actually, you're actually part of the solution. We've got all these wrecks. We have very few restorers. You're trying to be a restorer. Boy, I, I, if I'm the devil, I don't like that. Uh, so, so one of the things I want to bring up to you today is that, like, as we commit to walking in this, you need to understand spiritual warfare as a thing, and it is targeted toward those who are actually trying to snatch sinners from the fire. It's, it's targeted toward those who are trying to restore people who are caught in transgression. And so I would say two things about that. One, be careful, uh, be transparent, you know, be clear with where you are with the people in your life, but, but also, friends, like, you are not called or not called to this because of your sin. You're called or not called to this because of Christ. And uh, the devil would love to get you in a self-inflicted penalty box when that's actually not the appropriate response. Repent, right? Confess your sin, be forgiven, and move on. <laughs> so I, I want you to be careful. I don't want you to fall into sin. I don't want you to treat sin casually. But I also think that once we, once we remove from the devil this sort of like, I'm going to let you make me feel ashamed for the next 30 days, and we trust in Christ, we trust in his blood, we trust in his grace, like the temptations themselves start to, to reduce. And finally, practically, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, I think that a big part of this is actually, for the most part, people that have got caught in transgressions have failed to just apply basic practical wisdom to their lives and so, for instance, one of the people that, you know, you, one of the people you might help is just like, they honestly, they, this was a, this was an illustration given at our, um, at our training years ago. 
uh, the, the, the teacher who was teaching us had a, a guy that he was counseling who would keep going into um, an adult adult bar and uh, and he was he had a real lust problem and he would keep going to this the, the kind that are by the airports you know um, and uh, and it just kept happening and so the counselor's like wait a minute Jim like where do you work again and he's like I work here and he, uh, the counselor got out a map before Google Maps and was like the airport is not on the way <laughs> uh, to home and he's like well yeah but I, there's a there's a there's a there's a gas station there and I like the sodas there so I go get a soda and he's like dude like I'm not saying you're doing it on purpose, but I'm saying your flesh is doing it on purpose. And like the pretense is there of like, you want a soda, but it's literally to get you within eyesight of this place. That's a very practical kind of way to care for someone is to say, hey, let's, let's go ahead and do accountability on like, did you drive straight home? That kind of stuff. So bearing one another's burdens just is a lot of times when people are being really beat up by the devil, they've lost a lot of just the natural sense of awareness and situational awareness and practicality and so forth. And there's usually a lot of just dumb little practical things that can be dealt with very quickly. And uh, if they're genuinely broken and repentant and like things can get better a lot faster than they thought they could just by being thoughtful about someone's practical, um, practical situation. Any thoughts or questions so far? This is all going to, I'm, what I'm doing right now is I'm giving you the entire curriculum in one talk and then everything will come back through uh, broken down into more fine detail. Well, I, I'll end uh, what I have here with the promise. <laughs> everything I just laid out to you in this talk and everything I just laid out to you in the sermon, you know, an hour ago, has been in that Bible your whole life. You know? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that funny? Like, like I just did, I don't know how long I'm talking, you know, 40 minutes or so. Everything, that's always been there. That's, you've got one of these Bibles in your house. Probably got 12. And, and uh, uh, that, everything I just told you has been there that whole time. So what really happened today? I just did what I said at the beginning, what Jesus said of the well-trained scribe. I brought the things out that needed to be brought out. And that's really all we're talking about with counseling and discipleship and restoring people. It's already here, and the Spirit wants it to come out. And so really all we're talking about is just bringing out what is in the Word of God all along. Um, another key verse for this exercise is, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's already here. God's spirit is ready to help you, just like Jesus said, to pull things out and put them before people who need to hear them and to help them experience the catharsis of God. Any questions?
I wouldn't know. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that's a trick question or not. <laughs> well, you see, Jesse, let me tell you. Let me break this down for you. Um, you know, I think that, that to answer that question would be to something like, at one time I could have told you, but right now nothing comes to mind. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Yeah, I'd have to get into the Greek. Um, sensuality, I know, is probably... It's probably the Greek word for flesh there. It, it's essentially like beyond, it's food, it's, it's sens- sensuality in general. I don't know what the difference is between sexual immorality and purity. You tell me. <laughs> Other questions? I think intercessory prayer is by far uh, the sort of barometer of a lot of spiritual health. And so um, I think the thing that really you want to train yourself to do uh, and really kind of feel, you know, chastened by if you don't is how much did I pray for other people today? And uh, I think it's just, it's, it's sort of square one of noticing people, of, of listening of being concerned for what is going on in their life and so forth. And so, yeah, praying for people is, I think, essentially all, all that happens after you get good at that is you start telling people what you've been praying for. Um, if you know someone that you think, like, there's a decent chance this person might come to me, they're having trouble with their marriage or so forth, and you just start praying for them throughout the day, not just in the morning, pray for them throughout the day, Ask the Holy Spirit to give you things to pray for. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you notice things when you spend time with him. And by the time it comes for you to sit down with that person, first of all, a lot of times, if you'll pray for them, God will, God will do the next thing. He'll set the appointment. But when you sit down with that person, if you've already been praying for that person, you would be stunned by the amount of preparation you already have. Um, not to fix things exactly, but the amount of preparation you have to encourage them to welcome them into this relationship, to welcome us into this, this counseling setting and so on and so forth. So yeah, prayer, 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 prayer. Uh, praying for other people is, in my opinion, essentially like, how do I know I'm not just a selfish consumer? It's like, how do I know that? How do I know I'm obeying the second part of the great commandment to love my neighbor as myself? Um, I really, do you catch yourself throughout the day thinking about and praying for other people? That's, that's key. There's a, uh, I think you're doing the common prayer thing in the mornings, aren't you, Max? There's a section in that where, uh, this is, it's this podcast where they just go through the Book of Common Prayer in the mornings, and there's a section where he's like, take a moment to pray for people in your life or something. And uh, it's not very long gap, right? So what I would do when that, when that comes up, I just ask the Lord, Lord, who, who do you want me to pray for? Usually somebody will pop up that I would not have expected, and I was talking to somebody else who does that, and I was saying, like, yeah, there's only this little gap, and, like, I, you know, I, I got to really pray for someone really fast because then it goes on to the next thing. He's like, you know, I just pause it. 
I was like, oh, <laughs> that's another approach. <laughs> so one of the things that, uh, I, one of the reasons why I want Galatians to be kind of our book for this fall is Paul is commanding us to do this. He's teaching us how to do this here. Paul is actually doing this in Galatians, which I think is pretty, you know, meta. You know, he's, he's, he's telling us this stuff in verses 1 and 2 of Galatians 6. He's doing this stuff toward the Galatians in the whole book. And one of the things you can look at on your own is what the world would define or the, you know, the feminine side of the church would define <laughs> as gentle, that's, that doesn't fit what's happening in Galatians, right? Paul is using force to do a hard thing. He's just using it responsibly. And so that's a big piece of this is uh, that understanding of the use of force because the word of God is sharp. And if you don't believe that the word of God is sharp, then you'll be... Kind of a kind of a disaster with it. <laughs> He'll treat it like a club, and people's you know you're supposed to do surgery, and now there's like limbs everywhere, and you're like, what happened? <laughs> it was sharp, you know. Understanding the appropriate use of force is a huge part of bringing light and truth into darkness because it's it it's it just comes down to faith that the Bible is more powerful than you understand it can be. The Spirit is more powerful. Uh, the word of God affects people more deeply and so on and so forth. So I've learned, I keep learning like use of force, use of force, use of force, like appropriate use of force for this particular situation. And if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm trying to do too much, a lot of times that's because I'm not committed to this situation for the long term. I'm not committed to, I want this fixed so you can be less annoying to talk to. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Now you know how bad of a guy I am. Other questions? Jake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll trash myself again. So uh, Brooke went to New St. Andrews, Moscow for, for school. And so she, she got to talk to two groups of, you know, she got to talk to the original father figure who is easily the feeler of people's stuff. And there's some benefit to that. But then she also got to talk to men who were basically like me in every other way, except they had more emotional distance. And I, I felt like when she came back and was telling me about that, I realized that's, a, that's the next thing for me, is to create more emotional distance so that I'm not riding the roller coaster with the couple and so forth. And one of the things, just to give you a heads up, if you have like a painful experience from your life, and you're counseling someone that's going through something similar, that is not always an asset. 
Because you're reliving, <laughs> you're physically, maybe not intellectually, but you're physically reliving, you know, a lot of the same stuff. So uh, we need to talk about that more. Probably when we get to gentleness again, we should talk about that because that's probably where that, that fits the best is in that, in that area of like what is likely to trigger you to not be gentle. And it's sort of essentially when you become part of the story. Uh, it's crucial that you have some level of you're more Jake than Chris in this. Like you're pretty good at like, you know, I'm sure you frustrate your wife with this, but you're, you don't go along for the ride emotionally always. That, <laughs> but Randy, <laughs> you can talk to this one about someone who goes for the full ride. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's something that we need to talk about there. And that's kind of what I want to do here is really, I've been doing this for so long that I really have gone, been able to see a lot of the things I've done wrong. And so I really want to bring that to you just to give you that much more of a head start down the road than, than I had. That's a, great, that's a great thing to mention. Of course, it was a little self-serving though, Jake, to be honest. <laughs> Said it was a little self-serving to bring up. Like, don't you think people should be a little bit more emotionally careful? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you have something? No? no. Oh, you just opening your mouth. Okay. Right. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, another piece of that that's connected is like we just got to manfully resist any kind of savior complex that comes with this sort of thing and understand like the spirit has seen this sin in its full vivid detail in this person's life. The Spirit has designed a relationship for you to talk and you need to understand like you're not the fixer. The Spirit's the fixer. Cool. Well, I'll just close in prayer here and I would encourage you. Um, so I'm not saying memorize Galatians 5 and 6. I am saying basically know where everything is in those two chapters. Okay, so read them a lot at the very least and meditate on them. Almost everything you need is just here in these two chapters. And then as you read Galatians more broadly, you'll see Paul doing these things toward the Galatians and you'll see how he does it as well. So thank you so much for being here today. I genuinely am encouraged to see uh, your desire to do this. And, and please don't let anything like um, you who are spiritual scare you. What we're going to do is character development and skill development, not just skill development. So let me pray. Gracious God, we praise your holy name that you are the great healer, the great restorer. And Lord, how many times have you come and cared for us, either through other people or just directly through your word, and pulled us out of the ditch like David talks about in Psalm 40. So Lord, thank you for being who you are. And Lord, we just... Sign up on the dotted line in an Isaiah 6 kind of way. Who, whom will go for me? Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, Father, we trust that your provision to equip us and to provide for us as we continue to try to grow in, in this way of caring for other people. And Lord, I, I'm sure that there are people that are just stuck right now and caught, whether in this room or in our church or in our lives and Father, we just, we just know that you have a heart for those people to be restored. And so we pray, God, that you would, you would tune our hearts 
to what you're seeing and that you would make us sensitive to people who are caught right now. Help us to love them and to pray for them and, and to care for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.